Well, if you have your Bibles, I trust you would. This is a Bible-believing Baptist church, is it not? <clears throat> Turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you can stand in honor of God's word, I would ask you to do that. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read the first four verses. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's pray. Father, I mean it sincerely. I've said I'm so thankful and honored to be here tonight, certainly uh, for the invitation and the opportunity to be with this dear church, but most importantly, Lord, another opportunity in which to gather together around your word with fellow believers, and uh, Lord, to know that your presence is in our midst, and we want to tell you we recognize that, we're thankful for that. You've promised that where two or three are gathered, you'd be there, and so we know you are. And Lord, as you are here, we trust already that our song service has been a blessing to you as it would be intended to be as we worship you in song. But just now, Lord, we're looking to you to minister to us. And we pray that you'd tender our hearts and open our minds that we might be receptive for what you have for us collectively as a church, but most importantly, what you have for us individually as believers. And I don't know the need of every heart here, but I know you do. And so I ask, Lord, that you take the message tonight as only you know best how to do, and you would apply it to the individual need. I may be one of the most needy here as I stand in this place, and Lord, I pray that you'd help me, uh, get me out of the way, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use me and speak to me as well as through me here tonight. And so we commit the service to you, looking forward to what you're going to do tonight, and as we go through the course of this week, again, we're excited, Lord, for the opportunity and so I just pray you'd bless everything that's said and done and may it be used to bring honor and glory to you, you alone. And we'll praise you and thank you for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> this second epistle or second letter by the Apostle Peter is uh, thought to have been written just shortly before his martyrdom. Um, in fact, if you'll skip down to verse number 14, he might kind of makes mention that God's kind of revealed that to him. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. In some way, evidently, the Lord had communicated to him that his days were numbered. He wouldn't be here much longer. And so uh, I can only imagine that uh, some of what he writes here, he writes with that, that consciousness and some passion knowing the importance of the things that God would lay on his heart to communicate. Anyway, this letter was thought to be written about A.D. 66, uh, which would have been one of the later, uh, last letters really uh, written that we have in the New Testament. 
about six or seven years after his first letter. And the uh, audience is different in the second letter than it is primarily in the first. The first one, he's, for the most part, writing to persecuted Jews. You'll recall, of course, that Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Thought maybe I'd hear an amen there. <laughs> I, I would expect this is a Gentile church for the most part. Uh, <clears throat> thank God for the Apostle Paul. Yeah. He went to bat for us dogs. Our language kind of goes like this. <laughs> you know, we're a bunch of dogs. That's who we are. But he went to bat for us. Uh, in fact, he kind of had to withstand Peter to his face on one occasion about that very matter. But anyway, I think by this time, the Apostle Peter is very conscious uh, that the gospel is attended for the whole world. He had a little confusion about that early on, but by this time, he's very much aware of it. But again, I say his first letter uh, was more addressed uh, to Hebrew Christians. Just page back to the first letter. Uh, notice a couple of uh, references that would kind of make that case. <clears throat> In chapter 1 of, of the first letter, or 7, he says, that's your trial of your faith. Now, remember, he's writing to Jewish believers primarily. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Kind of along the line of what the Apostle Paul said, that what he did, he did in ignorance as a Jew, steeped in tradition and blinded by all that. So he's kind of alluding to that condition. Then skip down to verse number 18. He says, For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. The Jews, of course, very much given to tradition. <clears throat> and then over in chapter 3, he mentions this in verse number 6. He says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, and he's, he's talking in the context of, of the godly women here, uh, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. So he's talking to Jewish women. You got it? Uh, daughters of Abraham and Sarah. But here in the second letter, as I said, He's more conscious that his last words would really be uh, applied to and addressed to Christians in general. And so he has even us Gentiles in mind uh, when he writes this second letter. <clears throat> uh, go back there to verses, uh, well, just look at verse 1 there in 2 Peter again. He says, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Okay. God's taken us in, amen? amen. I uh, occasionally do, uh, when doing door knocking, we'll come across uh, a Jewish family. And I mean, it's almost the same every time I've had this experience. You knock on the door and they open the door and I say, I'm Pastor Lydic from Midlands Bible Baptist Church. Before I can hardly get past Baptist Church, <laughs> they say we're Jewish and they start to close the door. And so I've kind of learned to say, so am I. And so they stop, you're Jewish? I say, yes, I'm an adopted Jew. <laughs> and they kind of look at me strange, uh, 
Jewish family adopted you? I said, well, kind of. <laughs> I said, uh, your heavenly father is my heavenly father. And uh, your Messiah is my brother. <laughs> well, usually it doesn't get much past that. <laughs> but I do get a chance to tell them, hey, I've been, I've been grafted in. Amen. When I had hair, <laughs> I used to say, I even look a little Jewish. I had curly hair and a long nose, you know. But, but more than that, I'm conformed to my Savior's image. And uh, I've been, yeah, I've been grafted in. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Peter, back here in our text, he's very conscious then that he's addressing more than just Jewish believers. And he goes on then to emphasize the significance uh, of the record that he and the other apostles uh, will be leaving after they're departed from the scene. Uh, look again there in verse number uh, 15. Uh, of chapter 1. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Aren't we glad we do? Yes. Okay. He goes on to say, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. You know, of course, he's referring to the, the Mount of Transfiguration when he, James, and John were invited by the Lord to be there. And that's uh, a great account. Uh, I'm thinking must have been running through Peter's mind here when he said, boy, did I embarrass myself. <laughs> uh, you have to know the story. Anyway, uh, but he said, hey, I'm telling you, I heard it myself. This is a first-hand report. Okay? And I heard God the Father speak from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. No doubt in the Apostle Peter's mind as to who Jesus was. Yeah. But he's recording these things, and he's, again, writing it down now for our benefit. But, but go on. What he, what he says here is, is pretty interesting <clears throat> Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You have in your lap a more sure record of what Jesus said than a firsthand report. <laughs> you've probably had experiences where you've had different ones give an account of some event and not every detail matches. I would suggest in the human nature of the matter, if you'd have take, taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's accounts, just from them as men, there would have been some differences on how they remembered events or what was done. But there's no contradiction in God's record. <laughs> God has every jot and tittle, come on, every detail down exactly as it took place. Thy word is truth. Amen. And so Peter's saying, we have a more sure, 
I, I heard it myself. Let me tell you, I was there. It's great. <laughs> I can tell you what I experienced, and I did experience it, and I know what I heard, and I know what I experienced, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God, not just the word of Peter. Okay. Peter is simply the instrument here through which God works and gives, of course, this record. And then he speaks kind of, you got to kind of pick up on this. <clears throat> but he's saying that this word of prophecy was a benefit to him as well. In other words, it's not just what he wrote that would be a benefit for us, knowing again that God inspired him to write it, but he himself benefited from it. Because he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He included himself in that case. And so look back at verse number four. He says this, whereby are given unto us, notice again the terminology here, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruptions in the world through lust. When he says the divine nature, we have given to us from the word of God some divine capability. A true godliness. I mean, I'm talking about a capability that is divine. Not in and of ourselves. Oh, no, 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 not at all. But God has revealed to us, God has imparted to us the capability, the understanding to know things that the world does not understand. <clears throat> uh, let me digress a moment. I have a dear friend, we grew up together, and he texted me uh, this morning, and he said, have you, did you follow any of the election last night? And in years past, I would be up till four in the morning watching the whole thing, you know, uh, and it would usually ruin my life for the next month. <laughs> and so I, I told him, I said, well, frankly, I haven't had time. I said, I just got back from Mexico, and then I'm on my way to Rapid City, and uh, <laughs> you mentioned not retired. I said, yeah, it's not retired. I'm reassigned. It's, it's an, anyway... Uh, <clears throat> So I said, I really hadn't. How did it go? <laughs> and then I put, and I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> and I guess there was some great, pretty big disappointment. There wasn't the red wave everyone was hoping to experience. And I was certainly ex hoping to experience that too, I must say. But hello, 21st century believer. Fasten your seatbelt. If I understand the scripture right, it's not going to wax better and better. <laughs> Besides, the hope of our country is not in a political answer. Yeah. Heard an old preacher say years ago, he said, which do you want? You can't have it both ways. He said, do you want revival or do you want return? <laughs> and I kind of had to stop and think a minute. He said, you can't have it both ways. That's kind of disappointing. <laughs> I remember when I was in Bible college, Senator W. E. Dow, and he told about in 1946, I think it was, in Springfield, Missouri, they brought in Bob Jones Sr., and they had a citywide revival. And you may or may not know, Springfield, Missouri is also the headquarters of the Assemblies of God. 
And he said even some of those people got involved in it. They were ringing their churches to hear Bob Jones Sr. And he said, we had revival in Springfield, Missouri. And he went on to describe it. He said, we shut down the movie houses and the bars. He said, I'm telling you, Springfield, Missouri had revival. And he went into talking about the details of it. I'm sitting there just enthralled and bewildered, frankly, because I can't even imagine. I'd like to experience it. <laughs> I mean, I'd like, I've read about uh, the Great Awakening. I'm, I love history, and in the you know, 1700s, and uh, it's interesting statistics. They estimate in the Great Awakening six out of ten messages. I mean, as, as a rule, we're talking about all the mainline religions. We're talking about Congregationalists, you know, Methodists, what Baptists, you name it. Six out of ten messages they estimate were on hell. The classic message of the Great Awakening by Jonathan Edwards was sinners in the hands of an angry God. Maybe we ought to get back to preaching on hell a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Someone said, you, you trying to scare me? Yeah. <laughs> That's some, the only reason I got saved, I didn't want to go to hell. That's a pretty good reason. Yeah, amen. Anyway, all that to say, uh, I would like to experience a revival like that. So I've said, Lord, I understand that you can't have it both ways, but could I have a little taste of it? And then you just yank the carpet out from under us, you know. Because <laughs> uh, I would like to experience it. I'm a red, white, and blue-blooded American. I love my country. Um, I'm heartsick over where we're going as a country. But again, if you understand Scripture, don't be surprised. So, as I say, fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> but in the midst of that, going back to this, what Peter's saying here, we have uh, <clears throat> divine nature. We, we understand. Come on. We know it's going to wax worse and worse. Come on. The answers aren't. We're not going to establish a utopia on this earth. Right. Come on. It's not going to happen. Right. And we're not going to develop to the point where we usher in God's kingdom. No, no. In his mercy and grace, he's going to take us out, going to rapture us out of here. You know? So it's not going to get better. So again, I say, we're really going to find out, we're really going to find out who loves the Lord as things wax worse and worse. And Peter's talking about conditions in the first century, and it's kind of going, talking about full circle. We're going back to that, the persecution and the hardship and the suffering and the sacrifice and all the things involved. And uh, we're going to find out who really wants to serve the Lord when these things start coming around. We Americans have been spoiled rotten. I'm not complaining about it. I like it. But we've been spoiled. But when things do get as they're going to get, and I believe in my lifetime, I'm throwing a lot of things in here. The Bible talks about, you know, the, the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree uh, will not be passed from the scene until the Son of Man comes. Do we know the day or the hour? We do not. And some pompous pinhead gets up and says, I figured it out. <laughs> you can just go, tune him right out because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. But we can know the season. Yeah. And we can know, come on, it's getting close. And he said, that generation won't pass till it happens. 
Well, the generation that saw the budding of the fig leaf was when Israel was back in the land and established as a nation again, 1948. Well, you heard the biography. I was born in 1948. I was born in November. That happened in May before I was born. We're talking about my parents' generation, some call the great, you know, the greatest generation. They're dropping like flies. World War II generation? Come on, those old veterans of World War II? They're now in their 90s. That generation will not pass until the coming of the Son of Man. <laughs> I'm practicing my rapture. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, we're getting out of here soon. Not soon enough for me. I'd like to have left yesterday. <laughs> Could be tonight. All in favor of tonight, say amen. Yeah, amen. Okay. I'm just saying, if it's as close as we believe it is, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Okay. So again, we're going to find out who really wants to serve the Lord. Find out. <laughs> Our church is, you know, talking about trying to grow and all that. And man, we all want to do that. But God's usually not with the majority and the remnant talks about whittling it down to the faithful few. Who am I looking at here tonight? It'll still be here when, all, when it ratchets up, when the heat starts picking up. Are you a convenient Christian <laughs> or a convicted Christian? Yeah. God help us, we need convicted Christians. Come on, we're in it for the long haul. <laughs> we're in it for the end. Now that I'm traveling around so, quite a bit, it's, it's really a blessing when you go back to some church two, three, four years later, and the same people are there with some more new ones. But, I mean, almost every time I can maybe say something. That, that person, uh, they had like three little kids, and they were just... I think they sang one night, and, and you can see the change on the face. And they say, don't ask. <laughs> oh, no, don't tell. Don't ask. Yeah. You going to be faithful? I think the theme of, of this meeting is talking about being steadfast. Oh, how we need steadfast Christianity today. So Peter's talking to those that would be steadfast. Come on, you know what's coming. You know, you know, you have insight. And here's the, here's the good news. In the final analysis, we win. <laughs> have you jumped to the last chapter? <laughs> You're reading a book and say, I can't wait to find out what happened. So you jump to the last. Uh, come on, we got the last chapter here. Have you read it? We win. Yeah. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. It's going to be great. We're going to rule and reign with him. Then we'll ultimately go into the eternal state and it'll all be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, as the Apostle John said, even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's get this thing going. Yeah, amen. But in the meantime, we got to endure hardness as a good soldier. But here's what Peter says and here's what I want to focus on tonight. <clears throat> He's called us to glory and virtue whereby, verse 4, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Aren't you glad for the word of God? 
Aren't you glad for the promises in the word of God? Peter called them precious promises. And again, he was familiar with some of these letters that had already been written. Some of the New Testament, Peter was very familiar with. And there's some great precious promises in both the Old and the New Testament. Let me, let me throw a few at you. How about this one in John 10? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Jesus speaking, of course. And they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. This is a Baptist church, right? I thought I'd hear a few more amen. Come on, once we're saved, we're saved. (laughs) We're not safe. We're saved. It's a finished product, brother. He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. Amen. Thank God. If you don't have anything else to put a smile on your face, it ought to be, praise God, I'm saved. Yeah, amen. For all of eternity. Amen. That's a, that's a precious promise. Verse in chapter 14 of John, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The where I am, there you may be also. Come on, he's coming back. It's not some hope so thing, not some think so thing, not some fantasy. He's promised he's coming back and he keeps his promise. We're talking about precious promises here. He keeps his promises. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I've heard it over the years. People say, I don't come to church to hear about giving. Then you probably don't want to hear anything that's written in here. <laughs> For God so loved the world, he gave. It started right there. And he gives and he gives and he gives again. But you can't outgive him. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. Somebody ought to say, <laughs> I used to kid our church now and then. We'd take an offering, you know, and I'd say, hey, let's just, let's just take another offering. <laughs> and it's kind of quiet like now. <laughs> no, it ought to be, whoopee, we're going to get to give again. God loves a cheerful giver. Come on. And you can't outgive him. And again, we American believers, we got more stuff than we know what to do with. You know what one of the fastest growing industries in America today is? You know what it is? Storage units. We got so much stuff, we don't know what to do with it. So we have to rent a storage place to put it. We don't even know what we got in there. We got so much stuff. Come on, we're spoiled rotten. I said it a moment ago. We are. So giving for us ought to be easy. We got plenty to give. Come on. Smile at me. I'm on your side. We got, we got plenty to give. Yeah, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a blessing to receive, but it's more blessed to give. Yeah. Amen. All right. Precious promises. Matthew 17, 20. Very last saying to you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you should say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Oh, you have a little faith? Yeah, too often. But even mustard seed, hardly see it, can move mountains. <clears throat> Years ago, my brother pastored in Longview, Washington, which is about 30 miles southwest of Mount St. Helens. 1980, you know the story. God took the top of that mountain off. Well, an evangelist friend, Bob Bear, was out with him then. And I was talking to him on the phone. I said, he'd take him out to see the destruction. This is just a few months after it happened. And uh, I said, Brother Bob, 
What about that mountain? Here's what he said. Somebody said, I want that mountain. And God said, here it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can move mountains. Come on. It's just mustard seed faith. How about 1 John 5, 13? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That's a promise. That's precious. I can honestly say before you tonight, I know I'm saved. I don't think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. No, I know I'm saved. In spite of myself, not because of me, because of him. Yeah. First Chronic, or First Corinthians chapter 10, for there hath no temptation taken you, such as is common to man. But God is faithful, yes he is, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What a precious promise. That creep, Satan, Lucifer, that, there's not words enough to describe the low-down creep he is. He hates you. If he could, if he, tonight, if he, he'd kill every one of us right here, right now, if he could. He is the enemy, Jesus said. Okay. But he cannot tempt you above that you're able. You can, res you can resist him. Old Flip Wilson, when I was young, you know, say, the devil made me do it. The devil will make you do anything. <laughs> you cave into the devil. You yield to his temptation, but you don't have to. Come on, when some temptation comes up, God says, open your eyes, look around. There's a way of escape somewhere near. God will probably provide a way. You don't have to cave in. You don't have to give in. You can put the guy on the run. He's a sore loser. You resist the devil, he'll flee, he'll flee from you. Amen. Great promise. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, <laughs> any of you? Yeah, like all of you. <laughs> James was gracious. But <laughs> Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. And upbraideth not. Someone said the only time it's good to be liberal is when you're giving. <laughs> God's liberal in his giving. He's given us understanding, okay? And it shall be given him. If you like wisdom, you know, when you, when you sit down to do your Bible reading, you know what the first thing you ought to do? You know what your first thing you ought to do? Before, before you even open the thing, you ought to just bow your head and say, Now, Lord, <clears throat> your ways are above my ways. <laughs> you're beyond finding out. And I'm kind of slow anyway. <laughs> so, God, you need to help me here. And it's amazing, isn't it? How you can read a passage. I read that probably ten times. I never saw that before. It is a living book. It's not like you say, did you read this book? You know, yeah. You read the Bible? Yeah, I've read it. <laughs> now, live in the Bible. The word of God, yeah. Precious promise about what it imparts to us. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. You know, there's, there's some confusion on that verse. Because I've heard people say, you know, I, I raised my child right. But I'm telling you, they're not serving the Lord. They're off in the world. But they, they were raised in church, in Sunday school. They got saved when they were 8, 10. But I'm telling you, they're not following the Lord. Well, let's read that verse again. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What that verse is saying, and this is so true, I think, and, and there's a Bible illustration give, given to us called the prodigal son. 
And the Father, if you remember that story, is a type of God the Father. So we're talking about a good daddy <laughs> that taught him right, did right. Come on, we're talking about he's a reflection of the Heavenly Father. But the prodigal, he's off. Give me my stuff, self-consumed, I'm out of here. But it's a great ending on that story, isn't it? Amen. One of the key little descriptions there, he came to himself. <laughs> and he said, I don't have to live like this. I know my father. <laughs> I want to go home. I'm going home. Yeah. He came to himself. Here, here's what the, the verse is saying. When you instill in your children the word of God, it doesn't return void. Oh, they can disobey it, so can you. And do we not? <laughs> but you're not going to get away from the truth of it. Come on, particularly if you're saved. <laughs> Holy Spirit's within. There's a still small voice. Come on. And you're fighting against. <laughs> and even when you're lost, I mean, the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, Jesus said it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He heard a powerful sermon by a guy named Stephen. <laughs> Refer to it here in a minute. <laughs> Couldn't get away from it. When the JWs knock on your door, don't turn the TV off and duck down and hope they don't think you're home. <laughs> Come on, it's an opportunity to be a witness. They'll, someone, some of them never heard the gospel. The true gospel, the pure gospel. Maybe you're the contact. God's brought them near your door for the purpose that you witness to them. Amen. And I do. And, I, and I'll let them talk. You know, they'll you know, I get off on all that. But I, I usually say, now, okay, now you've talked. Now you need to be kind and let me talk. Okay. <laughs> so I take them to the scripture. For one thing, Jesus has always been. He's God. Right there, you know, they're clearing their throat. I say, no, go back to Genesis. Let us make man in our image. The Trinity. And then Jesus talked about a place called, you don't even believe it exists, called hell. There was a rich man, and he's in hell right now. And that's where you're going unless you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and recognize him as God. And by that time, they're saying, okay, we got to go. And I say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I've asked them their names, like John and Fred or something. I'll say, I want to have a word of prayer with you. So I bow my head and I say, now, Lord, John and Fred here are lost and they're, you know, they're consumed in a cult. And you ever preach a prayer? <laughs> Watch and pray. I got one eye open. I'm preaching. <laughs> and the more I pray, the farther they're going, you know. And so I raise my voice. And they're on their way right now to hell. <laughs> you say, yeah, we laugh. And, and yeah, there's, but it, it's true. And come on, they need to hear the truth. The truth's not always real palatable. <laughs> Brother Bear, I mentioned about, I used to say, you got to get mad before you get glad. You know, yeah, that's usually the case. Word of God's powerful. Yeah. We, need, we need to re remember that. It doesn't return void. 2 Chronicles 7.14, this one's a good one for election day. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
The ball's in the court of believers. The Obamas and the Pelosi's, they're only going to do what they know to do. They're lost. They don't have the answers. But we do. Remember, we got some divine <laughs> attributes and ability, insight. Yeah. So the ball's in our court. We're going to see our country turn around. We need to see Christians turn around. You ever heard it said, I'd be a Christian, but I know too many Christians? <laughs> That's a sad commentary, but too often it's a true commentary. <laughs> but there's a promise. If we stand, we're salt and light. Come on, we have an effect. But, oh boy, I'm telling you, I've already preached a message, but I'm not done. <laughs> because there's a precious promise that's more precious than all those promises. Or I might better say the most precious of the precious promises is this one. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> I'll hurry up here. Hebrews chapter 13. And verse number 8. Here's the precious promise of all precious promises. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> you know all the other precious promises are really rooted in that one? It's not like God makes a promise and then later on he changes his mind. Talking about the cults, you know, they, they have updates and revisions and new revelations. They're changing all the time. God doesn't change. He never changes. He never has changed yesterday. He does not change today. He will never change forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you, aren't you glad? That's one of the most precious promises of all. God's the same. He's the same as he was when he breathed in the man the breath of life and he became a living soul as the very minute we're here in this service talking today. God has not changed one iota. He's the same. He's still the same. And so I just kind of list a few things here. And, and I would say it's interesting that it says Jesus Christ the same. The root of all of God's promises, the basis of all of God's promises, is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of it all. He's the center of it all. He's the answer of it all. It's all in Christ Jesus. And he himself is always the same. His nature has never changed. The prophecy about his coming, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. Again, for the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the others, the cults. Come on, Jesus Christ is God. Amen. He's God incarnate. He's the God-man. Someone said, how much man, how much God? 100% man and 100% God in man. Yeah. And he is God, Emmanuel. Jesus said in John 10, I and my Father are one. We have a hard time digesting that and comprehending that because we have a minute brain. Just like eternity that God has always been. So I said, well, you go back 50 gazillion years. He's there. And he's the same. <laughs> Everything we know has a beginning and an end. You got a washing machine, you bought it new, and about 
15 years. It's junk, and they take it out to the dump. It's done, you know, and they melt it down, and it's over. God never had an end beginning, and he'll never have an ending. You try to comprehend that, and your brain goes, <laughs> you can't do it. It's beyond our comprehension. And that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one God and they're three personalities, three persons. How do you... <laughs> Can't comprehend it. Remember, he is beyond finding out. Beyond our capability. So what do you have to come back to? You have to come back to what you know. God is true. His word is true. And he's never changed. So you have to exercise a little five-letter word called faith. But it's a substance. It's not a, not a dream or a hope. No, you have a substance, you have a faith, a confidence of knowing that it's so because God is so. <laughs> He's true. Um, uh, <laughs> some things I'd say, I've got to hurry along here. <laughs> John 14, 9, Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Angels, they're on the Mount of Ascension. Those apostles are gazing up into heaven. I, I wish they had Polaroids back then. I'd like, <laughs> like to see a picture of that. <laughs> you know, they're watching him ascend. And probably, you know, like you do it, watch a jet leave from the airport. Your loved one's on there and see, right? Last little bit before they go into the clouds, you're watching. They're kind of watching Jesus that way. Hey, what? <laughs> Why stand you here gazing, looking into heaven? This same Jesus, which you've seen ascend into heaven, will come again. The same. Why? Because he is the same forever. <laughs> Just like he was when he went up, we're going to see him come back. Same. He's the same. His nature's the same. His, <clears throat> his <clears throat> manner is the same. What's his manner? Righteousness. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. You know why? You know why? There is no fault in him. You can't find what's not there. It's not there. He is righteousness. He's the very personification of righteousness. He is our righteousness. Amen. He's righteous in everything he does. He's just. Oh, man, one of the great things about the millennial reign when Jesus is on the throne, we're going to have real justice. Are you not sick up to here with the injustices of this country alone, let alone the world? He's just <laughs> talking about <clears throat> preaching Stephen before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Yeah. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. <laughs> Peter at Pentecost, before that in Acts 3. The God of Abraham and of Isaac. He's preaching to all those Jews from all over the world there in Jerusalem. The God of Jacob. The God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. Yeah, Jesus Christ is justice. He's just in every way. Okay. So again, his manner, such a blessing to know that never changes. Okay. His love. God is love. <laughs> you know, for mankind, love's just another four-letter word, isn't it? Often perverted. No, we're talking about God's love is pure. 
forever pure. I'm talking about always pure. Never changes. <clears throat> this is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Come on, that's the thing. We're supposed to love one another in the way God loves. Pure. Come on, isn't it great to get away from the stinking world, come into God's house, be together with God's people? Come on, ladies. Be, be men, around, around men that don't look you up and down. And Come on, you know what I'm talking about? And they can say to you, I can say to Mrs. Brooks, I love you. And he might, what did you say? <laughs> oh, no, I, I know what you mean. Because, come on, in Christ's love, we're brothers and sisters in the Amen. Lord. Amen. Amen. We have a love one for another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one. So, again, Jesus, his manner, his nature is always the same. Always the same. Never changes. Okay. Jesus' word is always the same. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Come on, same standard from the Old Testament is the same standard in the New Testament. Same standard of Bible times is the same standard God has today. Be ye holy as I am holy, God said. That's the standard. That'll keep you busy. Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. When he's got this beam running through his head, you know. Yeah. No. It's, you won't be worried about someone else if you take enough time to be worried about yourself. Because we've got enough to worry about just for ourselves. Yeah. His word is always the same. I uh, talk about door knocking. When I was a teenager, I did a lot of that. I mean, it was almost expected and so routine. You'd knock on a door and it'd be a, a father and a mother and the kids. And they're married. Come on. You been door knocking lately? It's like, who goes with which here, you know? You got three women and two men and 15 kids, and what's going on here, you know? It's a commune. It's more common today to not be married than be married. Well, culture's changed. Boy, I mean, but God's word hasn't changed. It's still fornication and adultery. It's always been that. still is. Come on. We try to clean it up and make it acceptable. When I was a teenager in high school, I was in a small school. didn't have this happen, but my cousin was in a big school in Wichita. I was in a little town called Clearwater. But in her school, she said girls would kind of show up missing. I mean, classmates, you know. And they say, where, where did Judy go? Don't ask. Oh. She shipped off to some girl's home. And it was a shame. I mean, there's a word we don't even hear anymore. And certainly the condition we never see anymore. It's called blushing. <laughs> you don't even see it anymore. But it was a shame, and people would blush at the thought of it. Now we have nurseries in our school, high schools. Nurseries in the high school for the unwed mothers. Now, I don't want to be mean or cruel, and I understand we need to love people as they are. Amen. But I'm talking about God's standard here has not changed. And we need to take the same look at it and view of it and appreciation of it as God expects us to because he hasn't changed, does he? 
His word is always the same. <clears throat> this is about uh, three or four years ago. <clears throat> I was watching some news clip. And this may not be fair for South Dakota because this was in California. <laughs> but in the California state legislature, there was a big row about abortion. And this California congressman said, the Christian, this is a quote, the Christian community has got to change with the times. <laughs> There's a statement for you. Well, the problem is we're worshiping a God who never changes. <laughs> and we're supposed to be conformed to his image. <laughs> and he expects us to obey his commands. Come on. So how are we supposed to change with the culture when we're worshiping a God who does not change and will not change? Come on, it's the culture that needs to change, not the man. <laughs> I was in Bible college, <clears throat> had a missionary come, and he was in, uh, he'd flown into New Guinea, and he, he had an airplane, so he'd go to these remote areas. And uh, <clears throat> he was saying that's often quite an experience. He would go to areas where They'd maybe seen white man, but they'd never really been around him much. And so he was telling about this one village he, he flew into, and the chief of the village would, would host any visitor that would come into the area, particularly someone of some stature. He flew in there, and they recognized he was a man of some stature. So he was invited to the chief's uh, hut, and so he went in and... <clears throat> And the wife came in to serve them tea or whatever. And she's topless. And the chief is giving her a hard time about how dare she come in and embarrass them. But he was upset because she didn't have a, a, a necklace on. <laughs> she didn't dress up for the occasion. And so everybody's kind of snickering, you know. A Bible college student I'm sitting next to leans over and he says, but it's their culture. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, well, their culture is ungodly. <laughs> but come on. I said, that's where we're going as a culture today. I said, we're, we're about due to start dancing around the fire. Are you with me? I mean, so pagan, so ungodly, so no consciousness at all of what even sin is anymore. I thought a Bible college, it's their culture. Well, come to find out, there's some <laughs> preachers and even independent Baptists now trying to be culturally re relevant. Okay, don't get me going on that. Anyway, the point is this. The, the word of God hasn't changed. God's word, Jesus' word doesn't change. Jesus' purpose doesn't change. It's always been the same. Remember now, he's one with the Father from eternity past. Let us make man. He's back there at the creation. Jesus was there too. Yeah. His purpose has always been the same. What's God's purpose for man primarily? Primarily, what's his purpose for man? Okay, but that's primarily our purpose, to glorify him. What's his purpose for, for man? Calling to me, all ye. <laughs> One second. 
Call unto me, all the world, be saved. I mean, the whole program, before the foundation of the earth, before, before he breathed life into to man at all, the Lamb of God was slain. Why? Because God knew, he's all-knowing, he knew what would happen, so he had to have a plan in place already to do what? To redeem man who would corrupt himself. So God's program and plan from all along has been to save mankind. He's gracious. Come on. He's loving. He loved the whole world. The whole, everybody. No one's outside of his love. And his love is he's not willing that he should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's his purpose. It's never changed. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, and 20. It's interesting you read that. If you've got a red-letter edition of the Bible, the whole command is in red letters, except you get to the end. The last word is amen. That's in black letters. Because that's to be the response of the disciples he was given that command to, which was the very essence of the New Testament church. So the Great Commission, you know what amen means, right? So be it, yeah. Or may it be so. So when Jesus gave the great command, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, amen. <laughs> Our response should be, so be it. Amen. Well, who's that dependent upon? Us, yeah. But God's program and plan is dependent upon human instrumentality to accomplish, how shall they hear without a preacher? Come on. How are they going to preach except they be sent? God has human instrumentality involved in the whole program and plan, but his plan has never changed. I don't have time to go into for his people in particular. You know what God's intent for, for Israel was? They'd be the agency to win the rest of the world. The city set up on a hill. And Peter makes mention, I won't turn there, but in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, because he's writing to the Jews, and he talks about that very thing, that their purpose they failed at. Now, they're still God's people. Amen. But the Bible says he's divorced from them. It's not divorced like we practice it today that ends the relationship no God still has a relationship with his people and it'll be restored one day amen like John said even so come Lord Jesus yeah those 144,000 missionary Jews come on in the tribulation time God's going to return to his people going to use his people to accomplish what he always intended for them to accomplish but they failed at it and so God said, I'll show you what. We're, we're really an indictment. We're really a testimony to the Jews of what God, God's ability to do. He said, I'll show you what I can do. I'll, do. I'll accomplish my program and my plan with anybody that will be used, right. including dogs. Remember? Oh, that's us. <laughs> and so we have the Gentile age, the age of the church, the age of grace. Yeah, real grace when God turned to us. But now again, the ball's in our court. We've got to step up in our place because God's program has never changed. He's still seeking to save that which was lost. Yeah. So his purpose has always been the same. Jesus' plan of salvation has always been the same. Somebody say amen. amen. It's always been by grace through faith. Again, I'm out of time here. I wish I had time. I'll just give you some... Do a, little, do a little reading tonight. You're outside reading class. Is <laughs> Romans chapter 4. Paul talks about that very thing. How was Abraham justified? By faith. Certainly no law. The law wasn't even given in Abraham's time. Okay, But the reason the law was given was not to save anybody. It was to show them their need of a Savior. Paul later said it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Yeah. So Abraham was saved by faith. Come on, Moses was saved by faith. Adam was saved by faith. Everybody that's ever been saved has been saved by faith. 
The only way you'll ever get saved is by faith. Not by works of righteousness we have done. Never has been righteousness. Because we don't have any righteousness. It's all filthy rags. Yeah. So thank God for mercy and grace. <laughs> and the faith and to trust God because of his grace for us. His plan of salvation has never changed. It's the same. Jesus' invitation has always been the same. <laughs> to the lost, he said, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Coming to me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come on, it's an open invitation. Anybody can be saved. <laughs> I can't leave it alone. I can't leave it alone. There's two, there's two common doctrines that are taught and preached in many churches today. A very common belief. The two are this. One is <clears throat> that you can lose your salvation. How do you read the Bible and come up with that? It's called eternal life. Well, duh. <laughs> How do they come up with this stuff? Yeah, vain tradition. Yeah, absolutely. The other one is, and I'm talking about an independent Baptist churches. Watch out. Another one is this. Certain people are chosen to be saved. And certain ones will not be saved. They cannot be. Even if they want to be saved, they can't be saved. Because they're not chosen to be saved. <laughs> How in heaven's name do we come up with this stuff? By the way, that doctrine you may know is called Calvinism. I said any doctrine that takes a man's name is suspect at best. Yeah, really. You talk about the doctrines of men. That's a guy named Calvin, yeah. I'm not even sure that guy himself was saved. He may have been, but I'm not sure. Because of the things he believed, okay. Anyway, all that to say, come on, you know who, who God has chosen to be saved? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. John wrote in 1 John, I think it's chapter 2, he says, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's writing to believers, by the way, that letter. He says, he, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. Then he says this, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. He died for everybody. Everybody can be saved. Come on. Whosoever will, can they come? Yeah, whosoever will. Amen. So again, his will for the lost has always been the same. He wants them to be saved, and his invitation is a standing one. And the same for the saved. It's a standing invitation for what he wants for us. In John 12, he says, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You want to live a life that makes a difference? You want to live a life that's worth the living? You die to self. Come on. Not my will, but thine be done. Thank God I just mentioned the apostle Paul. You know what his will was when he got saved? You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to go to his people, Israel. That's where he'd have gone. He had a passion for it his whole life. Finally, Jesus said at the end, he said, okay, Paul, I'm going to give you a break here, and you can go down to Jerusalem, and you can preach the gospel, but I'll tell you what, it's not going to be like you think. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a whole other message. It's an interesting story, by the way. But when, when Paul got saved, he said, what wilt thou have me to do? Well, he said, you're going to <laughs> Damascus and it'll be told you what you're going to do. And of course, it's revealed to him that God has a plan for him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Thank you. Again, I thought I'd hear an amen. He's going to take it west. Someone said the gospel's been going west ever since. Yeah. But he takes it to the Gentile people. Amen. And here was his statement. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Somebody say amen. He could have said, not so, Lord. I'm going to go to my people. I don't want you to go to your people. I'm going to go anyway. There's a lot of Christians that live that way. I'm going to do what I want to do. Come on. Our lives are not our own. We're bought with a price. Come on. We need to die to self and let God have the lordship of our life. And when you do, amen, it's a life more abundantly. Lived more abundantly. Theme of your meeting is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. God help us to continue as steadfastly as Jesus did in his promises. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need some Christians that will surrender their life. Your will be done. Jesus said to his father, if it be thy will, this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as thou will. We're to be conformed to his image. He steadfastly finished his course to the point where he said, it's finished. The apostle Paul said, I finished my course. Come on, folks. Let's steadfastly finish the course that God has for us, not that we have for us. Let's know his will. Come on. And then let's see his will realized in our life. Till he comes for us or till we die waiting for him to come for us. God help us to be found faithful. It's required in stewards, isn't it? Let's be found faithful. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for the admonition in the word of God. Thank you for the exhortation, the challenge. It is a challenge because to die to self is not our nature. So help us, Lord, to overcome self and allow you to be the Lord of our life. And not just for a time, but just as you're faithful and you never change. Help us to be the same. Speak to hearts here tonight. Help us to commit ourselves to that cause. Maybe by God's grace and testimony to his goodness, we've been faithful to this point. God, again, you know our nature, and we do as well. Help us to remain faithful in the days ahead. Help us to have a testimony like Paul who said, I finished my course. Oh, God, help us to do so, I pray, for your glory, but for our good. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.